So today we are uh, concluding our series called We Are Family. And in case you missed any or even all of the series, I would really encourage you to go back and listen uh, to some of these sermons online. Um, All of our sermons are archived on our website and you can do that. You know, as I was going back over um, all of the sermons in this series, I realized that we spent a lot of time over the last few weeks giving very practical help from the scriptures about what to do with the messes that we face. And that's a good thing. We need to know what to do with the messes that we face. Um, Basically, a lot of the sermons in this series were about how to take what is wrong and somehow make it right. We did a sermon on, on empathy, right? How do you show compassion and understanding to somebody when someone is in a mess? We did a sermon about walking through the fire with one another. How do you be there for someone when they are in a mess? We did a sermon about bitterness and the bitterness, the resentment that we hold in our hearts sometimes toward other people. In other words, how do you deal with a mess in a relationship without harboring resentment? Pastor Albert did a sermon about fighting. How do we fight fair and how do we fight well with the people in our lives in a way that doesn't make the mess worse? Pastor Christine did a sermon about confrontation. How do you address a mess that nobody wants to mess with? A lot about messes. And then last week, Pastor Albert talked about investing in our children and our youth. And for those of you who are parents of kids at any age, you may often feel quite messy, either relationally or, you know, just literally messy. Sometimes my wife and I don't have the energy after the kids go to bed to clean up the mess that they have left. Diapers and toys scattered everywhere. Today, instead of talking about the mess... We are going to close this series by talking about how to cultivate healthy relationships. Instead of just waiting for the messes to come and then cleaning them up, waiting for the fires to start and putting them out, and the messes will come, and the fires will come. But today we're going to talk about how can we be proactive in building solid relationships in our homes, with our friends, in our workplaces, with our church family. And I want to give you two simple words today. Words that are so simple that you can remember them without even trying. Here are the two words. Be there. Wherever you are, whomever you are with, be there. You know, the Bible speaks of a God who is fully present. Fully there. And being fully there, fully present, it's what he desires for his people. Did you know that the first question that is recorded in the Bible was asked by God? Does anybody know what God asked Adam and Eve when when he was walking in the garden after they had sinned? What did God ask them? Anybody know? Are you there? Where are you? Where are you? What was it that got the Israelites through 40 years in the wilderness? It was God's presence being there with them the whole time? Why was it that the people of Israel were so desperate for the Messiah to come after hundreds of years of not hearing from him? Because the Messiah was their sign. The Messiah meant that God is still there. He hadn't abandoned them. Being there, being present matters to God. And it is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who shows us today, just as he did then, what it means to be fully present, to be there. In fact, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us. 
God with us. He's there. And even though Jesus left in his physical form from this earth, he promised to leave one that is just like him, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. This is a God who is present, who is there, who is here. You know, even from an early age, Jesus displayed in his nature the importance of being there, being present. We're going to look at a story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, the story of the boy Jesus at the temple. Now, for some of you who have been going to church for a long time, for a long time, or reading the Bible for a long time, this might be a familiar story to you, but I guarantee by the end of this story, by the time we're done today, some of you are going to see something in this story that you had not seen before. So we're going to take a look at this. And some of you, for some of you, this is going to be totally new. So you're going to hear this story for the first time, which is, which is great. Um, you know, and you might have lots of questions. But let's take a look at this story in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 41. And it goes like this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, Jesus, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching anxiously for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Let's do a little bit of scripture study. I want you to take a look again at verses 41 and 42. What does it say about Jesus' parents? By the way, it refers to Jesus' parents when just a chapter ago you would have read that Mary is the mom, but Joseph is not the father, which is kind of awkward, right? But in the scripture, in this scripture, it refers to Joseph and Mary as his parents because they were the ones who raised him, right, as a, as a kid. But what does it say about Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, right? When did they go to Jerusalem? What does it say right there? Every year, right, for the festival of the Passover, and, and it says, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to what? The custom, right? And, and when did they leave? When, when, were they, when did they return home? After what? After the festival was over, right? Okay, so, so this gives you an idea about Mary and Joseph and what kind of people they were, okay? Mary and Joseph were good Jews. They were good religious people. And they did what the good religious people do. They followed the customs. Verse 43 says Mary and Joseph left after the festival was over. Now, let me tell you. Did you know the Bible was not written in English originally? It was written in another language, right? It's Hebrew, and then the Old New Testament was Greek, right? So, so and, and I don't speak or, or read or write Greek, but there's this really cool online tool that I have 
that I use, and it actually has like the, the Greek and then like the literal Greek translation and then the, the way that we read it, like kind of all like next to each other. So you can actually see what did this actually, it's really cool. So if you want this, if you actually want to get a hold of this and like find out for yourself, I, I'll send you the link, okay? This is like there for any, anyone to do this, really cool. I'm like revealing the secrets of the pastors right now. I don't know what, there's no secret, it's, it's there. It's all there for people to see. Um, but in the original Greek, what it actually means, what it says is, they left, what did it say? When they had fulfilled the required number of days. When they had fulfilled the required number of days, then they returned, but Jesus stayed behind. That's very important, okay? When they had fulfilled the required number of days. So again, we see that Mary and Joseph, just like thousands and thousands of other people, Jews, they're very good religious people. Every year, they follow the custom, and they fulfill the required number of days that a good Jew was supposed to be at the temple. Okay? But then, there's Jesus. And apparently, Jesus wasn't your typical good religious kid. He wasn't even your typical 12-year-old. Right? What did Jesus do when his parents left? He stayed behind for three days. Verses 46 and 47 tell us, and he was there in the, in the very temple that his parents had just visited, listening and asking questions and blowing everyone away with his understanding, right, and his thoughts. Now, you might not notice, have not, not noticed this, but Mary sounds a little uh, upset that Jesus did this to them, right? Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching anxiously for you, and I think in the original Greek, this is translated as, what is wrong with you? Scared the heck out of us. That's the PG version. Okay? I'm just kidding. That's not the real Greek. I'm just... So Jesus answered, right? Why, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, parents, tell the truth. If your kids stayed behind somewhere like that, and you couldn't find them for three days, and then you finally find them, and their answer is, well, why were you searching for me? Okay? Be truthful. How many months are they grounded? Yeah, it's like, I mean, you can, under, as a parent, you're kind of like, yeah, I can relate to Mary. I would be upset, especially Mary thinking, I lost the Messiah. You know, oh, shoot, God's going to be so mad at me. I don't know what she was thinking. It's probably running through her head, right? Just like with what it says about Mary and Joseph, there's, there's more to his answer, right? Don't forget, when we read it in English, it only gives us a partial understanding. The words that he says are more literally translated as, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Or even more closely to the Greek translation, it's more like this. Did you not perceive that I am bound to the things of my father? Did you not perceive, didn't you know, didn't you realize that I am bound to the things of my father? So I think we can see that there is a difference between the busyness and the business of God. And a lot of times we can get so caught up with what we think the busyness is that God wants us to be doing that we forget about what the true important business is that God really cares about. So what is it that God really cares about? Why did I take all the time to talk about how good and religious Mary and Joseph were? Because they were. They fulfilled their requirements. But Jesus, even as a 12-year-old boy, gives us a picture of what really matters to God. 
This God we are supposedly pleasing with our religious duties and fulfilled requirements. Jesus says that being in his father's house is his business. It's his life, right? It's his life. Being close to the father, one, it's his business. And and how did Jesus choose to cultivate that oneness? How did he choose to spend that time in his father's house? When Mary and Joseph found him, was he quiet in a corner, having his own personal time for three days? Maybe he did. He was there for three days. He could have done a lot in three days. But when they find him, he's engaged. He's interacting. He's receiving, and he's giving. Jesus is in his father's house, and he is fully and completely there. He's present. Jesus understood, even at 12 years old, what it means to be there. It kind of reminds me, when I was 12 years old, I was babysitting my little sister and my three younger, my four younger cousins, five younger cousins. I was at, I was at my house. I was babysitting them. And whenever you're home alone, what do parents always tell you, right? When you're a kid, don't answer the door. But for some reason this day, I did not listen to that. And I answered the door, and there were, there were some Jehovah's Witnesses at our, at our door, you know, just nicely with the suitcase and the guidepost, you know, that they were there. And for some reason, I let them in because they wanted to talk about the Bible. And I must have sat with them for like 45 minutes talking, and they were like asking me questions, and I was like answering them, and they were like looking confused, and they didn't know what to do with me because I was like this 12-year-old kid talking with them about the Bible. And then my mom calls, and like, hey, how are things going? Like, oh, it's, everything's going fine. I'm just talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm like, what? My mom flipped out. She was really upset because I let people into the house. I wasn't supposed to do that, right? You're just not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to let people into the house. So she got home, and she shooed them away and, you know, scared them off, and that was the last I saw of them. You know, there's something about this doing something different. Doing something different than what the custom says. Doing something different than what the routine says. Right? When, when everybody else is saying, oh, you're not supposed to do that. And Jesus is saying, whoa, why? Who said? God, uh, hello, I'm him. Jesus is always flipping things on their head. Jesus is always changing things up. And Jesus understood what it meant to go to the temple, his father's house, and to really be there. To really be there. I think we all have to ask ourselves a question. Do you see yourself more in Mary and Joseph or in Jesus? Do you see yourself as someone who is here today because this is what the religion says you're supposed to do on a Sunday? And you might have even felt guilty if you were not here. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Or maybe you're not here today. Maybe you're watching on our live stream, I again. Or maybe you're listening to this sometime down the road on our website, but you still have this strong sense of what your religious duties require of you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like Mary and Joseph. You do what the custom says to do. Or are you here because you can say like Jesus did, didn't you know? I'm bound to the things of my my heavenly father. I want to be with God. I want to be with my church family. I want to be there, not just in body and not just with my customs, but with all of me. I want to be there. You know, for Mary and Joseph, they did the right thing. 
they followed the custom, they stayed at the temple for the required amount of time, but perhaps not for the best reasons. They just did it because that's what religious people do. Good religious people do what good religious people are supposed to do. They do good religious things, but good religious things don't require true presence or being there. It just requires a sense of duty and obligation, right? Well, I'm, I'm here. You know, I could be falling asleep or isolated or distracted with other things, but I'm here. What do you want from me? And, and anyway, what's wrong with a sense of duty and obligation? Duty and obligation gets jobs done, doesn't it? Duty and obligation is what keeps soldiers in the fight. Duty and obligation keeps our, our law enforcement on the streets every day dealing with things that nobody else wants to deal with. What's wrong with duty and obligation? It's good to have a sense of duty and obligation. It's just the thing is that duty and obligation is not what God requires of us, his kids. It's not what he asks of us, duty and obligation. The most important commandment that Jesus gives is not you shall have a sense of duty and obligation toward the Lord. What is the most important commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love with all of your being. Sounds hard, doesn't it? It's not easy. You know, this doesn't just apply to being at a church on a Sunday morning. Being present, being there out of love. It's for our church family, but it's also for our biological families. It's for our neighborhoods. It's for our workplaces. For a child of God, being present wherever you are is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an every day, in every circumstance kind of thing. See, wherever Jesus was, he was fully present. He gave, he healed, he listened, he prayed, he loved. You can't spend three years walking around with the same 12 guys without learning to be fully present. But being there, being fully present, it's not always easy, is it? It's hard sometimes. When your kids are driving you crazy or, or things are tense or, or volatile with your spouse, isn't it easier sometimes to just not be there? Can I get an amen? When you can't stand your job or the people that you work with, isn't it easier sometimes to just not be there? When someone is suffering and, and you don't know what to say or what to do, isn't it sometimes easier just to not be there? And we all know, sometimes you can be there physically, right? But mentally or emotionally or spiritually, you've checked out, right? Because sometimes it's easier to just not be there, right? You're gone. And if I have to be somewhere, isn't it easier to just go through the motions? Maybe it is, in the short term anyway. But what do you lose? I want to share a, a, a short commentary from uh, Deidre Sullivan. She's an attorney in, in New York. Um, I want to find it actually real quick. I have it on my phone here. But I want you to hear this, this, this story. She's not a, a Christian writer. She's not a pastor or anything like that. But she is someone who kind of gets it. Deidre Sullivan says, I believe in always going to the funeral. 
My father taught me that. The first time he said it directly to me, I was 16. I was trying to get out of going to calling hours for Miss Emerson, my old fifth grade math teacher. I did not want to go. My father was unequivocal. D, he said, you're going. Always go to the funeral. Do it for the family. So my dad waited outside while I went in. It was worse than I thought it would be. I was the only kid there. When the condolence line deposited me in front of Miss Emerson's shell-shocked parents, I stammered out, sorry about all this, and I stalked away. But for that deeply weird expression of sympathy delivered 20 years ago, Miss Emerson's mother still remembers my name, and she always says hello with tearing eyes. That was the first time I went unchaperoned, but my parents had been taking us kids to funerals and calling hours as a matter of course for years. By the time I was 16, I had been to five or six funerals. I remember two things from the funeral circuit, bottomless dishes of free mints and my father saying on the ride home, you can't come in without going out, kids. Always go to the funeral. It sounds simple, right? When someone dies, you get in your call, you go to the funeral. That I can do. But I think a personal philosophy of going to funerals means more than that. Always go to the funeral means that I have to do the right thing when I really, really don't feel like it. I have to remind myself of it, even when I could, uh, of it when I could make some small gesture, but I don't really have to, and I definitely don't want to. I'm talking about those things that represent only inconvenience to me, but they mean the world to the other guy. You know, the painfully underattended birthday party the hospital visit during happy hour, the Shiva call for one of my ex's uncles. <laughs> In my humdrum life, the daily battle hasn't been good versus evil. It's hardly so epic. Most days, my real battle is doing good versus doing nothing. In going to funerals, I've come to believe that while I wait to make grand heroic gestures, I should just stick to the small inconveniences that let me share in life's inevitable occasional calamity. On a cold April night three years ago, my father died a quiet death from cancer. His funeral was on a Wednesday, middle of the work week. I'd been numb for days when for some reason during the funeral, I turned and looked back at the folks in the church and the memory of it still takes my breath away. The most human, powerful and humbling thing I've ever seen was a church at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon full of inconvenienced people who believed in going to the funeral. Most days my real battle is doing good versus doing nothing. Well, I don't do nothing. I work and I provide for myself and my loved ones. I obey laws. I pay my taxes. But are you really there? Are you present? Even when it's hard, even when you just want to run away and never come back, even when you want to check out, are you there? I heard another story this week. My, love, my wife loves to watch Korean shows when she can, or while she's folding laundry or just unwinding for the evening. There's one show she watches called Finding Genius. And, it's, and it's, it's like a showcase of all these Korean kids who have all these exceptional talents or intellects, and they just kind of, you know, see all the things that they can do. So they did this one little, little piece, a story on, on Larry Kwok. Now, Larry Kwok is a Korean-American. He is one of the most influential people in the, the field of cancer research, research and, and treatment. And he actually works not far from here at City of Hope in Gordy. 
Now, Larry and his wife have raised four kids. They've all found their way to Ivy League schools. And, the, the, of course, the host wants to know, how did you do it? How did you raise these four kids with your demanding job, a busy schedule? How did you raise these four kids to be as successful as they are? He said a very simple thing. He said when his kids were smaller, he would come home from his job, he would turn his phone off, and he would give his wife and his kids his undivided attention. Everyone, Larry Kwok says, everyone has five minutes. Everyone. Now, this is not saying, for some of you who are uh, tiger parents and you want to see your kids go to Ivy League schools, this is not saying that if you come home and turn your cell phone off and spend five minutes with each member of your household that everyone's going to be successful in everything they do. But this is an exercise to remind you and me of what really matters. Now, this is not to say that we as spouses and parents and roommates and children and workers and church members that we don't need to take a break sometimes. Of course we do. Of course we need to give ourselves a break. Of course, we need to unwind. We need some quiet. This is why some parents of small kids will lock themselves in the bathroom, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, so they can have some solitude for crying out loud. I'm not saying that I've ever done this. I've just heard some parents do this sometimes. <laughs> they will lock themselves in the bathroom just so they can have a moment of solitude. I want to I have uh, one more person share, and Fred is actually going to come and share. Um, Fred... Some of you know Fred. He's a pretty quiet guy. Sometimes when he tells a joke, you're not really sure if he's kidding or not because he does it with such a straight face that you're not sure. But, but Fred is doing something, and, it, and I think it really speaks to this idea of being present, being there, um, and particularly in Fred's neighborhood. Fred, would you tell us a little bit about what you did um, on 4th of July? Well, Pastor John, he called me during the week and asked me to share. I don't know if he wanted me to prepare a sermon or actually sing a solo, so I prepared both, but I'm... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So uh, I wrote down some notes, actually, about what he's been saying so far. And what I've done was, I'm actually, I want to go back a couple years when Pastor Johnny did this sermon on knowing your neighbor. Does everybody remember this? A couple years ago. And he asked everyone to write down the names of the neighbors of surrounding you. And I actually said, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm an introvert. I just go home and sit in my house. I don't know any of my neighbors the only neighbors I know are my aunt and uncle who live across the street from me and the next door neighbor who I had a fight with five years ago about a barking dog. So those are the only people I know. But then we started getting involved with, we're going to get used with the fiducia, right? I guess that was the beginning of last year. And I was kind of waiting for that to happen. We actually did the can drive, so I said, okay, well, I could do that. I could go around and <clears throat> introduce myself to some of my neighbors and collect can, uh, canned food. But then I said, you know, I, I want to be more proactive than this. I want to actually serve my neighbors. I don't want to just kind of go through, through the motion. So like in the prayer that we did right before the sermon started, I said to build bridges. And during the sermon, uh, Pastor Johnny said, you know, cultivate healthy relationships, be proactive, be there, be engaged, introduce yourself, love your neighbors, all that stuff. And that's actually a verse I've had in my mind, too, is, you know, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, okay, how can I put this in, into practice? So right before uh, Fiducia started up, I said, you know, I'm going to contact the Monterey Park Police Department. They have a neighborhood watch program. Let me be a host to my neighbors and have that program here at my house. 
So I did that, and one of the girls from the police department came out. We went around and uh, passed out invitations to all the neighbors, and I think I had about a dozen, dozen to 15 people come. So that was kind of like the beginning of starting to get to know my neighbors. And um, that was probably in March of last year. And then I said, okay, well, what other things can I do to get the neighborhoods or the neighbors to talk to each other, not only me to get to know them, but for all of them to get to know themselves. So last 4th of July, I said, I'm gonna put on a neighborhood block party. So I borrowed chairs and tables from the church and pop-ups, and then I made flyers and I went just on my street and passed out flyers. And I also belong to, probably a lot of you do too, belong to nextdoor.com. So I announced it on nextdoor.com that I was having a neighborhood block party. And I didn't know how many people were gonna show up but it ended up being over 50 people that came and, and people were really happy. People hadn't really gotten to know each other since we all live on the same street, but everybody's busy. Um, they all got together and talked and uh, said, okay, well, I'm gonna do it again this year. So this year, I actually expanded to the four streets surrounding me and actually invited some of the people here that live in Monterey Park here from the church. So like Vivian Huerta and uh, Karen Bustamante and Pastor Carol and a few other people, uh, Helen, Juan, and her husband came. So um, that was good. Not as many people. I was hoping for 100 people, but about 40 people came. But everybody had a, a good time, and they were all commenting how, how nice that was. So um, again, just what I wanted to do, like I said, I just wanted to be a, serv a servant to my neighborhood. I mean, I haven't at, at invited anybody to church that I was thinking about maybe starting a Bible study, but on this thing here where I didn't know anybody's name in the neighborhood. I think I know everybody's name on, that lives on my street now. Um, I also know people at, <clears throat> I also know people at the Monterey Park Police Department, not for bad things, and I'm not, you don't see <laughs> El, you know, little Freddy Loco sprayed on the, on the walls and around the city, but because I have hosted some neighborhood watch meetings, I then some other, some other uh, police activities, so they're starting to get to know me for good reasons. Um, and again, just serving my neighbors. I just find ways to serve them, like on trash days, after the trash guy picks up the trash, I take their cans up to their uh, yard gate so they can put them away so they don't have to come to the street. Uh, when I walk my dog in the morning, I just look for ways, like I said, to serve um, the newspaper, there's like three or four neighbors that get their newspaper delivered to them, so I porch it, I take it off the grass and put it on the porch, look for trash and just different ways to, to you know, serve my neighbors. So I think they're all appreciative of that. Uh, but the big thing is uh, I just want to have a servant's heart for the people on my street. Thank you. You mind if I start calling you a little Freddy Loco? Is that, is that cool? So I think that's uh, I think that's got to stick. <laughs> you know, I, I love hearing stories like this because this speaks to this this whole idea of being being present where where you are, right? Um, you could live somewhere for years. How many how many years have you lived in that house? Since '97. Okay, so a while. Okay, you could live somewhere for years, even decades. You're in that neighborhood, right? But are you really there? 
You're in your home with your family, but are you really there, right? Giving of your, of your heart. You're in your job, right? Maybe you've been there for years, but are you really there? You're here at church, right? Come, you come every week like a good religious person or once a month or a quarter or whatever, but you, you do the religious thing, right? You got, you got to at least... I got to at least show up. I got to show my faith. Are you really here? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not speaking about those who have come from abusive or volatile relationships. I'm not saying that you should have just stayed and be there, okay? I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm talking about is the everyday things, the situations that we all live with, the people in our homes, our lives, our neighborhoods. And I want to challenge you today. When things get hard at home, don't pull away. Don't just run. Don't isolate yourself. Throw on your headphones. Turn on the TV. <coughs> get swallowed up by the internet. Be present. Be there. Be about God's business and act in love. Dads, I want to talk to you for a minute. There's a reason why the epidemic of fatherless kids is so rampant in our country and our world today. It's hard to be a dad. It's hard to be a father. <coughs> Might seem easier to just run or check out mentally or emotionally. I want to challenge you dads. Be there. Turn off your phone. Leave the stress of work at the doorstep. Do whatever you need to do. Be there. When your workplace is terrible, and everyone else is complaining, and you want to start bad-mouthing people, and you want to just quit, be there. Be present. Here with our church family, things can get difficult, too. Relationships get strained. Feelings are hurt. People who are working hard, volunteering, feel burned out. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people. I'm talking about people that I've walked with and done spiritual battle with, that I've cared for and walked through the fire with when things get hard in church. Or there's a disagreement. You just walk away. You just leave without even so much as a goodbye. It's gone. Being present is hard, I know. But it's so important to be there. Being present is important for us as children of God. It's how we show that we love not just by showing up, but by doing it when it counts and doing it out of love. Why do we get up and greet each other in the middle of service? Just to torture the introverts? <laughs> no, it's because we refuse. We refuse to just go through the motions. We want to be here. We want to be present for each other. And we can't do that if we just stay in our separate seats, in our separate rows, in our separate sections of the, sections of the sanctuary where we always sit. And somebody you know, sits in your seat on a Sunday and you're like, hey, you're in my seat. Now I have to find another seat. You know, great. Why do we extend hands when we pray for somebody, right? We, we have this thing that we do in church where people, you see people going like this, right? What is that? Why do we do that? Sometimes we'll even ask people to come forward and actually put hands on people that we're praying for. Why do we do that? Sandy asked us to do that during a worship time, right? Put your hand on somebody and pray for them. Why do we do that? And even if you can't come forward and lay a hand on somebody, but just doing this, Right? Extending a hand shows that you're, that you're engaged, right? that you care, that you are there, that you are present fully. Why do we provide refreshments outside? Just because we want to get rid of the leftover pastries that we didn't use from an event on Friday? Yes, sometimes that's why we do it, okay? <laughs> Not going to lie. But the main reason why we do it 
is to provide a space for people to connect, to talk, to genuinely ask somebody, how are you doing? Or maybe to be the one to genuinely answer how you're doing. I want to give you something to do in closing, okay? I just want to kind of make this real, okay? As we close and as we pray, I want to, I want to encourage you, take a few moments and think about where are those times or places where you tend to check out, right? Where you tend to think, you know what, it's easy for me just to not be here either physically or mentally, emotionally, right? You just check out. Where are the places where you just kind of stop caring? Where are those places where you feel it would be easier for you just to not be there? And when you think of those places, ask God to show you what, it, what you might be able to do instead of just checking out. How can you be present? How can you be there in love? And then lastly, I want to ask you to ask God to help you see who is somebody that you might need to be there for? Or who is it that you need to let be there for you? Some of you may be feeling like, yeah, you know what? I'm not really present when I'm here at church. I'm kind of checked out or I'm kind of doing my own thing or whatever. Some of you are feeling like, you know what? I, I, I'm, I need somebody to be there for me. And some of you may even feel like, you know, I'm always there for other people. I'm always giving. Some of you are even in helping professions. It's like what you do as a job all the time. You're giving and giving and giving. Some of you who are moms, I see my wife, she's constantly giving and giving and giving, right? Some of you are thinking, I need somebody to be there for me. So what are some ways that maybe you need to start being there for people? Or, or maybe you're the one who needs to let somebody be there for you. How can you do that? What are some ways that you can do that? We are a family, and family knows how to be there for each other. And as a pastor, I want to call on all of you, my church family, to be present. No, I don't just mean physically, because that's not even always possible. I mean in a way that lets us know that you are here out of love and not just out of duty or obligation. Mei Fong, when she says she's praying for me, I believe her. And I know that even though I may only see her once a week, she is still present and valuable in my life, in my family's life, because I know she's praying for me and my family. I believe her. And every time I go to her house, she's got all the pictures of everybody that she can get pictures of. If you haven't given Mei Fong a picture of yourself, give it to her. She will put it on her little dresser right there, and I promise you she will pray for you. She does. You know, as, as we go through the changes and transitions in our church family over the next Year. And there are going to be some big changes and transitions in our church family over the next year. But I want to challenge you, be present with all of your being, out of love, be here. Even if you can't be here physically, be here. Yes, I appreciate duty and obligation. Duty and obligation gets things done around campus sometimes. Trinity Church needs more than that right now. We need more than just duty and obligation. We need people who are ready to fall head over heels in love with Jesus and with God's people. We need people who are willing to follow Jesus together, even to the ends of the earth if necessary. We need people who are ready to be there for each other and have each other's backs no matter what. No matter what. We need people who will refuse to sacrifice relationships with God and with one another simply for convenience or for comfort. This is what we need. We, the church, God's kids, we are made to be a family. You want to keep this family and your household together, strong and unified. So 
Be there. And remember, God is there with you. And he's not going anywhere. Can we do this, church family? Can we be there? Can we be there for each other? Let's pray. I'm thinking of that song that Gloria played and Jen sang. I know many of us have that same experience. We have all had those moments of just crying out in anger and desperation. God, where are you? Where are you? Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are fully present. When you give yourself, you don't just give a part of yourself. You don't just give a little bit and hold some back. But Jesus, when you gave yourself, you gave it all. And you continue to give, 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 give every day. And you don't just sit far away off in the clouds or wherever heaven is, just throwing down goodies once, once in a great while. You're a God who gives with your own being, with your own self, with your own presence. God, teach us how to do that. We don't often, we don't always know how to do that, how to be present, especially when it's hard to be present especially when it's hard to be there, especially when our bodies are worn down, especially when our minds are distracted, especially when we're feeling frustrated or underappreciated, worn down. God, it's not always easy to be there. But I believe this is what you're calling us to, Lord. I believe this is what you want to teach us. God, I thank you for these last few weeks we've spent learning what it means to be a family, even through the messy stuff, even through the hard times. God, help us to remember those, those two words, be there. Be there, be there, be there. But to remember that you are there, you are here with us when we don't feel like we can do it. We praise you, God, and we thank you for your presence. We pray in Jesus' name.